Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined as always by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at Believe Network. Today is Monday, July 31st. And as always, this summer, this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, for 50%. For your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit, bet online where the game starts. John, we've done this a few times now. I still cannot read. You did a great job. You know, thank you. But <laughs> guess what? You know what I've, I I may not be able to read, but I do know one thing. What's that? And that is, we've got very few rules. One of them <laughs> is don't tweet. Never don't, tweet. Never, ever ever tweet it's a bad idea and what happens what happens when you tweet austin bad things you know what's worse than tweeting though doubling down oh no it's it's ugly i mean we have to talk about it because it became a national news story but <laughs> so like legitimately was like 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 spoken about by like legitimate publications and all over the internet on Saturday. It's fun when like little parts of Spartan Twitter leak out into the larger Twitter. Twitter. Oh, it's terrifying. It's it's scary that the rest of the world can be become aware of some of this stuff. But if, if you missed it, there is I don't want to say her name, but there's a Michigan Twitter personality, I suppose, who was claiming to be <laughs> threatened uh, in in ties with what Mike Valenti said last week, because it's probably worth even going all the way back to that. Mm. Like, basically, Mike Valenti went on the air. You know, he is a firebrand. He is one of those guys who will just sort of say whatever he wants to say. He's got great moments. He's got cringy moments. I think more often than not, he's pretty close to the mark, and he's a true Spartan diehard who speaks with uh, age and quote-unquote wisdom of having been through some terrible times. If you've never listened to his 2006 rant, I mean, to turn this off right now and go find it because it's the greatest thing you'll ever listen to. But uh, if you're but, quoting something decades later, it was a good rant. Yeah. Jay, if you've ever heard the term Jehu Kalkrick was a bowling ball or make plays, that's, <laughs> that's Mike Valenti. So go back and listen to that. But either way, he came out and basically said, hey, this rivalry is super toxic. The, it's a bad idea to have it be a night game in East Lansing this year. And he's like, I wouldn't come with my children. It more or less is what he said. Of course, some on social media took that to be like a direct threat, which is just oh, God. incredibly, it's Dead. just incredibly silly. Um, and, you know, from there, we had a certain Michigan personality go on Twitter and claim that she had been essentially attacked or directly threatened by this burner account from a that a Michigan State fan made. She then responded to somebody replying to her asking to like out them. And she took a, a screenshot of the header 
And in the header, it said edit profile. You can only have that in your header if that's your account. Mm. So completely outed herself and her own burner and then tried to own up to it and like take accountability for it. And it all came off. You know, I respect her for throwing her, you know, throwing herself on the train tracks. But like to, to cry wolf so hard and then do something like that. Like, I've never heard of more of a touch grass moment. Like, just uh, go, out, go outside, put the phone down, and just think about anything else for a really, really long time. Yeah, there, that's, um, that was a tough scene and maybe an eye-opening moment for many. Uh, as, as uh, yeah, if you're getting upset, that <laughs> upset about other people, what other people are saying, like, uh, well, never tweet. Is the big takeaway here, right? Exactly. <laughs> Certainly don't tweet about it. Yeah. Like, the one place you don't need to talk about it is social media. That's yeah, keep you don't need to yourself. talk about it with thousands of people. That's absolutely true. Here's a here's a good litmus test. Talk to your partner about the thing. And if it sounds insanely online, it probably is, and it's not worth tweeting about. Yep. I, I think reading a tweet out loud when it's going to be something like that is probably a good move. And then hear <laughs> yourself say it. And if you are disgusted with yourself, <laughs> just don't do it. Don't it. Don't it's the it. good mom test. Read it to your mom. Yeah. And oh God. If she's cool with the tweet, let her fly. Yeah. I wish I had taken my own advice once upon a time with that, but you know, Hey, you, mm. you live and you learn. When we try and spread the gospel of never tweet. It's yeah. It comes from a place of knowledge. Would you say? <laughs> Oh, man. Well, one very online thing happened uh, that became real was SpartanDog.com. Sorry, SpartanDog.com, which there should be a SpartanDog.com, first of all. It's a good point. Okay. first And then second of all, very cool uh, event that the football team hosted. Full transparency, Austin and I did not know what it was last week. Now we do. It was a jersey reveal and then also like a pretty cool like networking hang event with the team uh invite only pretty cool opportunity so uh i thought that was a great touch i think it's always hard to build like excitement and momentum when the product you had the year before wasn't a bowl team and i think mission accomplished i think msu's fan base is excited for this season despite uh replacing a lot of key positions and a lot of unknowns. And I think that's hard to do. And, and they pulled it off in my eyes. But how about you? Yeah, I think uh, while we, you know, the, the surprise was a little bit spoiled. I, I do love that it goes beyond the football field, though. Like, that's a lot of a lot of alums were back. I mean, everybody from, like, Ike Reese, who was on the team in, like, what, the the 80s? Something like that? The 90s? Mm, like, yeah. Wow. He was there. A bunch of the guys, you know, BJ Cunningham and Mark Dell, like two guys that were in school while I was there were, not to make myself sound old, but like I am. Um, they were there. It was just cool. I think it's, it's, it's cool that, you know, you don't get that from every new head coach. And while Mel Tucker has been here for three years now, it's like those guys didn't play for him. And to mm -hmm. still have a, a Mark D'Antonio was there. So just to, to kind of have the whole lineage be there, I, I thought was, was very was a very cool touch. And obviously, you know, the, the real reveal of the jerseys, the long-awaited, heavily rumored uh, all-black jersey. I got to say, I prefer this trend to the neon trend 
I think it's it's cool that they listen. It's cool that the you know the the redesign like really is pretty in in line with what we said before. Like the I love the helmet stripe. I think the helmet right. stripe is by far the coolest part of the whole thing. Um, and I think the black jersey is cool. So rather than going hardcore neon, which not a personal favorite of mine, really gimmicky. I think the black is like, I think the black is cool. What did you think? Absolutely. Um, it, it's also a hard to, uh, when you know you don't have neon in your back pocket, like you got to manufacture some some excitement. And uh, I think they pulled it off. Uh, like you were saying, the black was nice. There were some really nice touches to it. I know this is terribly summer when we're talking about specific oh, yeah. parts of the uniform, but like, uh, look good, play good. I'm a huge believer in that. So, um, yeah, I thought they were great. I thought it was a, a pretty cool event. And um, I think if there's anything, I think every program talks about we're a family and all this stuff, but then you kind of see events like this and you're like, wow, that's pretty cool. Like you were saying, maybe there's, um, as much to it as we want to believe there is and and who knows how that helps with other things like recruiting and and, and what yeah so i think um i think it says a lot and i i do agree with you though the jersey you know we're we're stretching when we're talking about specific parts of the jersey here in summer but uh you know as a recruiting tool like it, I, I just I don't know that every program does have that. And yeah, we probably look at it through rose colored glasses. But, I, you know, it's it, it just means something to have guys from like not even superstar players. Right. Like it's not like, you know, the biggest players in the world. Right. It's it's guys that were just up pillars of the program in their time. I don't know. I, I thought it was I thought it was cool. I hope they keep doing it. I'm I'm sure they will. Uh, but yeah, all in all, pretty cool. Absolutely. Um, so while our program is stabilizing, uh, others are going a little chaotic, uh, as chaotic as my dog Wally, if you can hear him in the background, <laughs> as, as Colorado and Arizona bolt for the Big 12. Colorado double dipping a little bit, a little boomerang action for the buffs. Um, who's next, Austin? Well, it seems like, well, first of all, let's talk about Colorado. Yeah. Pretty pretty because i think this says a lot like what just happened says a ton i think the first thing it is is like the first domino in the survival of mm -hmm. the like three non-power two conferences has fallen and it's a big one and i will admit full like this is not the one i thought would happen for a variety of reasons first of all didn't think colorado i mean talk about you want to talk about Deion Sanders' impact. Here is the ultimate example. Colorado is a terrible football program. Like, they the bring worst. nothing to the table. They have been absolutely horrible, more or less, honestly, since they went to the Pac-12. There's been very oh, little for them. Probably they a lot are, longer, actually. They're the worst Pac-12 program since they joined the Pac-12. Yeah, they're, they're garbage. And yet, they just got plucked up. And they don't have a huge TV market attached to them. Like... There are other options for the, the Big 12 because the Big 12, one of the advantages they have is that they are they are not landlocked to a coast. Mm -hmm. They're in the middle. They could theoretically go just about anywhere. I mean, they have West Virginia in their conference. Like, mm -hmm. they could go anywhere. And yet they chose Colorado. So, A, I think it says a tremendous amount about what people believe Deion Sanders 
can do at Colorado. I mean, this, I think it's kind of insane, but uh, it's, it's a testament to, to that, what that force of personality can do. Um, it's also a huge testament to the, the Big 12 and an equally large indictment of the Pac-12. Like, mm-hmm. the fact that, that Colorado left your conference, like, the Colorado left to join the Pac-12 and then turned around and went back to the Big 12, <laughs> which they were unhappy with. The only and conference where the only thing that's happened in that time is them losing their biggest programs. Yep. Like, that's all that's happened. And they still went back. That's how, <laughs> that's so bad. That's how hopeless and mismanaged the Pac-12 is. Like, that is, <laughs> so I, I don't know how else to say it besides pathetic. Like, it's, it's absolutely pathetic. They deserve to be folded. If that's if that's the case, so I you know I didn't think the Big Twelve would be one to survive, but you know they're they're putting themselves in a position to at a minimum outlive the Pac-12, which is now I think the biggest thing is like the next domino is from all from everything we've heard the two Arizona programs, Arizona and Arizona State, both going to the Big Twelve as well. If that happens, yeah. truly the Pac-12 is just getting strip for parts and yep. you just the next domino i think is, is potentially going to come a lot sooner than people may have thought going into the summer yeah i don't know the relationship between u of a and asu in the sense that like usc and ucla kind of saw each other as partners right like this right. was a, a joint deal even oklahoma and texas who hate each other saw it as like a package deal to you know yeah the difference here is, you know, Colorado already jumped. So, like, where does Arizona State, is? are they left holding, you know, a shit bag? Or are they, like, and Arizona's like, ha, sucks to suck. Yeah, I have no idea what their relationship both, is. I think the rumor is they're both going. Okay, so if they're in, um, the uh, got to tell our Big 12 friends, don't get in the hot tub. Um, yeah. yeah, guys. I know you're from Oklahoma, mm-hmm. but tell you trust you know do not get in that hot tub so different breed of uh yeah it's just different um so if they're gone right so you're saying that in the past year then fact 12 will have lost usc ucla colorado arizona and arizona state five of their 12 teams almost half of their conference has now jumped ship and they have, at this point, no immediate replacements lined up. There are rumors San Diego State uh, is a popular oh, yeah. one. Sure. Um, but they, there's nothing lined up, which means they are left with Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Utah, Cal, Oregon State, and Washington State. Mm, tough. It, it, I, I, and I... I think it would be if if this comes out and this next meteorites deal is is a shitty deal, which it I almost expect it to be. It's supposed to come out in the next two weeks. I can't imagine it's going to be good, just given that we haven't heard anything about it until now. It might not even exist. Like it's it's possible it's not even a real thing. But like those teams are going to get scooped up, and some of them are going to get screwed. Like I don't know what Oregon State and Washington State are going to do. The only thing I'll say confidently is I think Oregon and Washington will be fine. Someone will come get them. It could be the Big 12. It would, the yeah. Big 12 would be silly if they didn't immediately try to go get them and, and absorb them as well. I think the Big 10 will, without a doubt, try to get those two programs. But then you get down to that middle tier, and it's like 
Mm-hmm. Does Stanford just stay and be the best in that conference and try to get an auto bid? Like, does Utah try and roll into the Big 12? Like, I, I just don't really know. I don't know what happens. I, I really don't. Yeah, I mean, you're going to see like a merger of Pac-12 and like the best of the Mountain West. And that's kind of the best you can do, right? It really uh, is. I mean, and then because if you're we already described the Colorado situation, there's no world in which a Big 12 team would consider leaving the Big 12 for the Pac-12. If Colorado just walked in the door and was like, guys, we messed up. Yeah, like, hey. Like, please let me back in. It's it's the Adam Sandler at the door talking into the buzzer. Yeah, I'm sorry, sorry, baby. I didn't baby. mean that. <laughs> I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean it. Uh, That's exactly it. So, I mean, and then where do you pull from? Nowhere. Like, it's the Conference of Champions. It was a good run. But. Yeah. Bill, Bill Walton is... Mr. Big Ten Bill now. I don't know what else he's supposed to be. But Dude, you know what's wild, even crazier, is that the the cap the trophy that goes to like the the overall best athletic department is consistently in the Pac-12. It's consistently those schools that are in the top ten. Yeah, and it just goes to show your whole athletic department being dominant does not matter. Yeah, I I think what this does too is it maybe an under underrated element here is it i think it's going to accelerate the football living independent of yep. the rest Absolutely. of sports Be, because it feels like it, this this feels like it's the first domino this year and that the rest are set to fall it's like the pac-12 and the big 12 are about to get completely shaken up um which will open some very interesting other doors with the acc i mean uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it forces the ACC charter members' hands to try to get out of this grant of rights or like what maybe some type of settlement looks like, what fines they have to pay. Like it would not surprise me at all if this is like the thing that, again, gets Clemson and Florida State and North Carolina and Virginia and these programs that the SEC or Big Ten would absolutely gobble up in a heartbeat. Right. I, I wonder if this is what gets them to be like, OK, can we eat the, you know, $50 million fine or whatever it's going to be to, to break out of this, this bill of rights. I just, I just don't, I don't know. Cause it feels like we probably thought this was what, two, three years away, but yeah, in I, reality, it might all happen like in the next eight months. Like it could all happen before the end of the football season. It would not surprise me whatsoever. Like this was a very surprising, this was the timing of it was, was pretty, pretty shocking. But, uh, yeah, there's a couple teams out there right now, man. If I'm if I'm a fan of Oregon State, if I'm a fan of Utah, if I'm a fan of, you know, Washington State, I'm getting nervous because I don't know what's about to happen. You know what's crazy is that like we uh, <laughs> the government is getting involved at least at the yeah. NIL, like the NIL, and like. We love college football so much in this country, like in certainly different pockets of this country, that it is yeah. like a, a it is an issue that must be solved. Like it, <laughs> to the, you know what I mean? Like, well, one hundred percent. Like, because it's not just going to be left floundering in the water forever. Like, there's a yeah. too much money at stake and too much passion um, accompanying that money for it to be anything but 
become the minor league of the NFL. Like, so we will, we will see it happen. That's kind of the crazy thing is we all kind of thought there was this distant thing and we're coming up on it. So, yeah. Oh, it's, it's coming for us. Here's how last thought here. If you want to know how much America loves football, Tommy Tuberville is a Senator. (laughs) So bad. You know, that's, that's really all you, all you have to actually know. Uh, and then also, it's like you said, it, it's being it's America loves it so much that it has become arguably the country's greatest export and is like <laughs> there is so much money in it that it has to be it has to be regulated because it's yep. antitrust, it's corruption, it's money laundering. Like it's all of these things can take place within this massive industry that centers on a bunch of kids playing a game it's Dude. it's the most american thing possible and the you know funniest, for, for better or worse the funniest thing that i can compare it to especially to somebody like not from america is i'm like all right during the um latest presidential election uh the we we're trying to figure out who uh running mates were the vice president picks and poli- political twitter very powerful large section of Twitter, as you can imagine, was trying to figure out how to best go about that. College football Twitter had the flight maps things figured out that day. And it was like, that's where we put our passion, right? Like, yeah, that's that's what I I mean. It's like college football Twitter is like, oh, that's all you need to figure out. Like, yeah, do that. This I looked at my team's plane this morning to see what recruit we were going after. Like, yeah, like. You heard of a little thing called flight aware? Yeah, it's uh, I've been tracking jets out of Piscataway for a decade. Like, yeah, yes, I'm I'm aware of what's going on. here. That's yeah, it's it and is a, quite the industry. And then political Twitter and America at large, like casual, normal people were like, what the hell was that? Like, why did they figure <laughs> that out so fast? And it's like and then it's, it's kind like, of one of those touch grass moments up, for dude. us. Yeah, it is an eye opener when we're like, no, you don't you. We realize this is not the purpose, but this also is the exact purpose. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What do you think? Should we we, we're getting close here, man. It's it's August if you're listening. And that means um, there is football this very month. And uh, and more than that, that means we need to be doing position previews because we have a handful to do before the season will be upon us. So we thought. We'd start with the area that I think you and I had discussed in prior podcasts as being potentially the most important uh, tandem as it relates to the ceiling of this year. Would you agree or disagree before we unveil? Yeah, absolutely. I I think this is the lifeblood of any great program. And uh, yeah, without a question, will be a huge determining factor in how effective Michigan state is this year no question so why don't you take us through uh the offensive line first before we jump in with the running backs um there's been some sustained uh talent and then some new faces but i'll let you uh take it from the top yeah i mean offensive line is it's no secret right like this is it's like starting pitching in baseball it is absolutely critical to the success of your team uh, and and the great programs, the, they're the ones that produce great linemen. Go go look at Ohio, the guys that Ohio State got drafted last year. 
Um, go look at who Bama puts in the draft, Georgia. I mean, these are the great programs. Michigan, because they consistently have great offensive lines. Michigan doesn't really belong in that draft category yet, but they still have consistently great lines year in and year out, especially at late. So um, Michigan State's line is in an interesting position. Uh, they have – it's been a clear area of recruiting emphasis for um, – Mel Tucker since he's come in um, and Chris Kapilovich, the offensive line coach has done a good job, honestly, on the whole getting talent out of what's been a, not the most talented group, but you're starting to see we're, we're reaching this critical mass where the guys that are playing are either upperclassmen that were good enough to, you know, move through the process with Kapilovich when he came in or young guys or or transfers that coach cap went out and got that's what comprises this offensive line so as of today the starting group is probably going to look something like this from left to right brandon baldwin jd duplain nick samak gino vandemark and Keyshawn blackstock now again the left side of that line baldwin through samak those are d'antonio guys if i remember correctly uh baldwin maybe being in the first class that that Tucker got, I can't remember, but um, they are upperclassmen. Duplain and Samak could have definitely gone to the pros and probably been, you know, mid to late round draft picks, but made the decision to come back and, and anchor this line. Um, we'll probably be on a few early season watch lists. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, so that's a lot of experience on the left-hand side of that line. And on the right-hand side, Blackstock was, I think, the number one community college or JUCO uh, transfer. Had offers from a lot of different places. He can plug in either at guard or tackle. The common line of thought is that he's probably penciled in at that right tackle spot. Um, and part of that is because of Vandemark. Vandemark was a four-star recruit uh, in Mel Tucker's first class, I think, was kind of like one of the, the stars of that class. Um, and he played a decent amount last year, especially in the back half of the year. So would be only natural that he's kind of the presumed favorite. That offensive line, all things together, that's a step forward. Like that, mm -hmm. That's not a bad group. And one of the things to note here is that Blackstock, if he wins the job, will win it over last year's starter, Spencer Brown. When you can create a dynamic like that, where it's your, you brought somebody in and they unseated the player from last year, that's a good thing. That's a great, yeah. like you talk about wanting to create that, that healthy tension, that, um, that competition in the room. This is as good a way as, they need to do it. And and Blackstock looks uh, apparently so far has looked pretty darn good. So great starting group behind them. I think the really exciting things for fans should be some of these young names, because there's a lot of, especially from last year's class, a lot of good young recruits that came in names really from the last two classes. I'll just rip off a few here. You got um, Braden Miller, one of the big tackles from Colorado, uh, Christian Phillips, another huge guard who's a regular. This guy's also a regular freshman, Gavin Brocious. Uh, Cole Dellinger, Stanton Rammel. I mean, these guys were all high three to low four-star recruits. I mean, Stanton Rammel is from Alabama, meaning Michigan yeah. State went into the state of Alabama and beat out not only Alabama, but Auburn and all these other SEC schools to get him. So there's a lot of young, functional depth. And there's some mid-tier guys in between there. Ethan Boyd, Kevin Wigginton, Dallas Fincher, um, and the aforementioned Brown. Listen, you're talking about anywhere from 13 to 15 guys, all of which are either going to start, have starting or playing experience, or are young and are better recruits than any of the guys in front of them on the depth chart. So 
there's a this is a really interesting and exciting group and I would expect them to probably rotate seven or eight guys especially early on just because I don't know that you're going to get five surefire starters coming out of camp especially with Blackstock being a new face and Vandemark being young um but you're at a point now where it's like if any of those five names Baldwin Duplain Samak Vandemark and Blackstock aren't starters it's because somebody came in and took the job the same way Peyton Thorne did over Anthony Russo two years ago you know the same way that so many players have have done honestly uh, over the course of Michigan State's history it happens every year in college football so it's a good thing to have but I will say the importance of this group to me especially on offense it will dictate the success of the team if this group is bad Michigan State will have a bad offense a very bad offense if this group is downright bad they will be horrible on offense because unless Noah Kim is walking on water like if he doesn't have a run game to rely on, you, put it this way. When Peyton Thorne had a run game to rely on, you saw him look like a pretty darn good quarterback and set a, set a school record for touchdown passes. When he didn't, you saw him look like a guy that everybody wanted benched and people were happy when he transferred. That's what we're talking about here. Noah Kim, I don't know where he is on the talent scale compared to, to Peyton Thorne. I think he's got a little bit more of a live arm from what we've seen, but – He's never really started. He hasn't played a lot of college football. If he has a, if the same way Thorne was, if actually less experienced than Thorne, if he has an offensive line that can block for him and give him time, he's going to be in a much more realistic, realistically successful position. But if he doesn't, things could get real weird real quick. Well, you've already kind of, I guess, decided who you think QB1 is. But uh, but I oh, we'll, we'll get we'll, call, we'll get back to that yeah uh, I think it's really interesting you mentioned about the um, kind of progression of this line and when you you kind of said those names and and uh, the growth that has taken place you can kind of see why Pick Six previews ranked them seventh uh, in the conference um, which is as you said a step forward um, a huge step forward actually. And uh, if if they are seventh best in the conference, how does that make? What do you think that means? The re- MSU did that year, record wise, putting you on the spot. If they're the seventh best line, yeah, yeah, I think Michigan State's six seven win team. If that's yeah. the case, six win exactly. team probably. I, and I would agree. So that has to be better, right? They have to be better than that. They have to outperform, you know, maybe what the projections are. And it starts here. To And if they like, you know, the projections for win losses now for MSU is about six games, six wins. So to win eight or nine, this team, this group, we think is probably going to have to be not just top five, but maybe even uh, even fourth or so. So I. Uh, that brings us to the running backs because you can um, certainly uh, it helps to have a rookie of the year uh, NFL <laughs> rookie of the year uh, in your starting backfield. But um, we don't have that. We saw what happens when you don't have that last year. Um, but to be fair, as you were saying to me before the pod, that offensive line was much um, stronger than last year's, or at least performed mm-hmm. that way. And not just because of uh, Kenneth Walker, Kenneth Walker's, um, First point of contact was unfortunately uh, well uh, 
smaller than his counterparts uh, because, well, the offensive line still wasn't that great. Uh, yeah. And he's just amazing. But uh, significant improvement over last year's team. What I'm getting at here is we have some running backs um, that um, maybe are not going to be uh, NFL Rookie of the Year, but we do have one wild card, and we're, we're excited to see. Who do you think will be starting against Central Michigan as of today? I, I'm going to play it safe. This is going to be my tack the entire way. I kind of spoiled it with, okay. with the kid. Kim comment before. I, th- I think it'll be Jalen Berger that takes the first that gets the first carry, but I I think between him and Carter, you're going to see a pretty even split early on, and okay. you know it will take care of itself moving forward. I, I think one way to look at this group is that there is once again there's talent here. If you look up and down, you've got. Uh, I mean, Carter is an athletic freak, like a weight room warrior. This dude is yeah. enormous. Um, and people are, you know, the, the the coaches and the program are very excited about his potential. And if you go back and look, like, listen, he played for UConn. So mm-hmm. take, you know, not mm-hmm. great. And he was hey now. a productive well, was yeah, it you who pointed so. out to was it you who pointed out to me or was it uh, she and who was like, well, hey, Kenneth Walker went to Wake Forest. Like, I said that. Yes, okay. That was <laughs> OK, true. Well, Listen, it's true, though. It is without question. I, I believe that. He listen, where they come from doesn't necessarily matter. But what I'm saying is he popped. He stood out when you watch him play like. What he brought to the table isn't dictated by the team that he played for. It's dictated by his, his physical ability. He's a freak. Bert, but it, my point is, he maybe he wasn't a huge recruit, but Jordan Simmons was a high three-star. Jaron Mangum was a four-star. And uh, so was Jalen Berger. There's a lot of talent in this room. And if Carter comes in and is the starter, again, he took the job. And yeah. I, I would I would anticipate he's going to get a very good opportunity to do that. But again, I look at this room t- top to bottom, Berger, Carter, Jared Mangum, J- uh, Jordan Simmons, and Davion Prim. And it's not a super deep, like only five running backs is, I know it sounds like a lot, but when you're rotating, probably three, it's not a ton. So this room could get thin pretty quick, but I think it's in a much healthier place than last year, in part because the offensive line is definitely going to be better. Berger is going to be more comfortable. Um, you know, it, it, you're not. We're not here to to besmirch Jarek uh, uh, Bernard or Broussard. Broussard, sorry, yeah, yeah, Jarek Broussard or Simmons, but Mangum and Carter are, are going to be more useful players. Jared Mangum, I think, is actually sort of an underrated get on the uh, in the transfer portal. He was at one point in time a big priority recruit for Michigan State. Um, coming out of the state of Michigan, ended up going to Colorado, uh, playing for Mel Tucker at one point, went to USF after that, and now ends up at Michigan State. He is a downhill big body runner. I mean, this dude is probably going to be a big time, I would imagine his packages will be short yardage, goal line, that type of stuff. He's probably a good, I know he's a good blocking back, so I would anticipate he gets some touches. But in terms of lead dog, it's it's one of Berger or Carter. I mean, and again, Simmons, I think last year, Jordan Simmons fairly or unfairly caught a lot of strays online because he just kind of ran straight forward. And if the hole was there, it worked out. If not, he didn't. And that that 
was such a stark difference from what you saw out of Kenneth Walker the year before, who made, you know, made people miss in the backfield, like you said, time and time again, and was just super shifty. So he's now fourth on the depth chart. Again, it's not jumping off the page like, oh, they got all these five-star recruits and all this stuff. But this team is building functional depth where guys that played last year, Spencer Brown, Jordan Simmons, are now down on the depth chart. That's a good thing. That helps shore up the edges for Michigan State. Again, it it insulates them against injuries to a degree. Um, I think this room could be a pretty good room. And if these two groups work together and you have, again, you know, I'll, I'll use the same number, John. I think if you have the sixth or seventh best running game in the Big Ten, you will see a significantly, significantly more improved and consistent offense, no matter who the quarterback is. Unless the quarterback, again, don't know who it's going to be, unless they are atrocious, like just atrociously bad, you're going to get a much more consistent offense than you got last year. Because last year it just felt like it was missed holes, drop balls, bad blocks, like just all these little things that, you know, kind of compounded on each other and partially were due to depth. This year that depth is that depth is there. A lot of veterans got brought in through the transfer portal, again, kind of around the periphery, but that's how they want to utilize it. And I, I think that these two groups are good examples of that. The running back or the running game was so uh, uninspiring that the idea of letting Peyton Thorne cook was oft discussed. And, oft, indeed. And, and not something anyone felt great suggesting. Um, more of a result of two NFL wide receivers being on the field at all times. But um, yeah, I mean, that's where it was. That's how, how big of a deal it is this year. And to your point about, I think we were saying earlier, Jordan Simmons is, you know, that guy started for a Michigan state team and now he's the fourth option. That's a good thing. Like that means your team is improving, getting better. And um, certainly, um, we think that this year's running game specifically um, should be improved from from last year. If, as you said, if it's not, uh, it's going to be we're gonna count the days till hoop season. <laughs> yeah, that is that's for sure. But again, I think the talent is there. It's there in the room. It's and and I think we know that Jay Johnson can scheme it up. It's just about having consistency and getting three yards instead of one. Uh, you know what I mean? And just mm-hmm. uh, underrated part about this offensive line and, and actually this group, and we'll get to them later, is uh, that tight end room. Another group they built out sort of similarly added a handful of guys in in that room, a few of them specifically for blocking reasons um, that could help with this initiative as well. But yeah, overall, um, I'm cautiously optimistic. Again, I all the credit in the world to uh, Pick Six Previews does an awesome job. I'm I'm confident they can out these two groups can outperform their rankings. Offensive line maybe is the the harder of the two, but uh, running backs being tenth best in the conference, I don't know. I've got a little more faith in them than that. Um, we hope so. So, uh, <laughs> God, I, I'm with you though. I, I think so. I think Berger alone, if we remember, was Wisconsin starting running back too. Like or getting yeah. carries, so you know, um, yeah, it's not not for lack of of um, got guys, we got enough guys to to make some noise. That's for sure. 
Um, so we think in the weeks to come, we'll be previewing uh, the other positions, um, hopefully collecting more realignment news. We're sitting pretty. This is nice. It's like when you've won uh, your tournament, NCAA tournament game, and you just sit back and watch the rest of the chaos. Like, we're fine. Uh, yeah. Big, Big Ten is solid. So oh. uh, uh, excited to just sit back and watch the chaos here. Yeah, I think we've talked about it before, but like, man, we really are in the catbird seat. We just, we should like, don't take for granted the fact that Michigan State has a home in all of this and that home will never get taken away. Ever. Michigan State means, and that should like encourage people and like, that's why we're so bullish. That's why people say, listen, we belong in certain conversations because we do. Michigan State, you know, via football or certainly basketball, like we are a national program. They should act as such and hold themselves to that standard because that, that's that's what they are. Absolutely. Well, we're we're hanging on and waiting on that next gnat, uh, wherever sport, whichever sun can deliver first. Um, yep. Before we wrap, quick shout out for Kunj uh, Gonka and your Cerveza Del Rey. Thank you for sharing uh, your, your beverage of choice when listening to the the only podcast. Anyone else, um, if you're interested in sponsoring, let us know. We love to hear and listen to where, where you're listening from. And um, maybe a few shouts outs ne- next week as well. Um, just let us know. Love it. All right, guys. Uh, this show has been presented by Bet Online. For John, this is Austin. We'll catch you next week. Dip. Yep.